Good morning. It is so wonderful to be with you this morning, to, to be gathered together, to study from God's Word, to sing praises to Him. It's absolutely just a, a glorious morning to be together. And uh, this, this morning I woke up and I was, I was just so excited to, to come here and to, to be joined in with each and every one of you to, to worship God. And I gotta tell you, that, that's not a feeling that I feel every morning. It's a feeling that's very special on, uh, on Sunday mornings when I know that I'm getting ready to join my brothers and sisters. This morning, won't you, won't you please turn with me to the book of Joshua. I'm so very thankful for the songs that Brother Joe led for us, especially that, that last song. Um, I asked him right before services started, last minute to lead that, and he very graciously uh, agreed. We're going to spend some time this morning looking uh, at the book of Joshua and looking at who Joshua was. Before we begin there, let me ask you a question. Have you ever had a job where everyone just did whatever it was that they wanted to do? They decided, what, what I want to do is what I'm going to do. You probably think, well, that's not going to work very good if that's what everybody's ideas were. And you would think correctly because it doesn't work very good. When I, my, my, towards the end of my time at Lockheed Martin, uh, towards my, the last, probably last year that I was there, we were having some management shift they were kind of moving things around and and we had a a new supervisor who was very new not to management but to to our our side of of things and to what we did and so for quite a while things were really in disarray we had people who were going out and doing jobs that somebody had already done while other jobs were getting looked over and and were starting to pile up we had uh, shipments that were missed we had deadlines that were missed uh, we even had products that were just simply lost. Whether they got sent somewhere else, we, we just didn't know. There was a lot of trouble, trouble going on, and, uh, and it was obvious to everybody what was wrong. Everybody looked around and saw the problem. The problem was we needed a leader. We needed somebody in charge. There's also another problem. Nobody wanted to step up and, and take that responsibility. Nobody wanted to step up and take charge uh, of the problem, whether that was that they didn't want to do it or whether it was because they didn't think they were capable of doing it. There was another reason. Some of people thought, well, there's somebody that's paid to be in charge. They need to do it. But as I said, that, that they were someone with, with little experience for, for a short while. As you can imagine, this led to a lot of stress. This led to low morale. This led to a lot of problems within our team, but not just within our team, but also led to problems within our customer base. As our customers saw that things weren't going right, they started sending messages back to us saying, get things under control or we're gonna find somebody else. You see, the same can absolutely be true within the church. The church needs leadership. Not only in the way of an eldership, absolutely that is a necessary thing for a congregation. We need to strive for an eldership. And we need as men to be preparing ourselves to, to serve in that capacity. And we need to be helping other people, other men, prepare themselves to serve in that capacity. I believe we can't fully be what God expects the church to be without the structure that he developed for it in the idea of an eldership and a deaconship. But you don't have to be an elder to be a leader, do you? When you think of someone who leads, what is it that you think of? Do you think of a person in your life that has motivated you to be, to be better than what you thought you could be or to do more than what you thought you could do? 
You think of, think of someone that through their life and, and through their example has encouraged you to continue on, to persevere. Maybe it's possible you think of the government when you think of a leadership. Maybe you focus on a certain president that in the history led the country in a good way. Or maybe you think of somebody in a military career who, who not only helped you to be a, a, a better soldier or to be furthered in your career, but maybe even possibly save your life. Hopefully, though, when we think of leadership, we think of people from the Bible. We think of characteristics that we see in people from the Bible. Because recorded for us are some of the greatest leadership qualities known to man. In fact, many of the great leaders of today are only great because they model themselves, whether they truly know it or not, after many of the characteristics we find in these men and women recorded for us in history. Maybe you think of Moses, and you think of his persistence. How many times did Pharaoh say no? How many times did Pharaoh say yes, only to change his mind and to, to go back on their agreement? Yet Moses continued to take the message to him. Maybe you think of Ruth. Ruth and her driven humility. Ruth, while many would probably look at and say she wasn't a leader, but she absolutely made great, had great characteristics that are, that are found in true leaders. Ruth was a, certainly a woman of great character. And not only was she convicted when Naomi, her mother-in-law, tells her and her sister-in-law, or, sister Orpah, says to leave, my, your, your husbands, my children, have, have died. You have no need to stay with me anymore. Ruth was convicted to stay. She remains. And I imagine she had many questions. And I imagine to everybody else it didn't look like the right decision. And yet she was determined to stay with Naomi. Because she loved Naomi. But not only was she convicted to remain, we also see what happens when she goes out and she gleans in the field. Remember Naomi's... Uh, Late husband, his, his relative, Boaz, notices Ruth. And you would think when he notices her and he says that he took favor in her, that might kind of lead Ruth to, to maybe get a big head, think a little bit more about herself, kind of slack off in her work a little bit. No, what, what do we read about her? It says that she continued to glean in the field. Even whenever she was invited into, into Boaz's house for a meal, after the meal, she goes right back out to the field, and she works until evening. And after every, all the work is done, what does she do? She takes everything that she's gleaned, she goes and she threshes it, and then she takes that and gives it back to Naomi. And she says she did this until the end of the barley and wheat seasons. She was, she was not only convicted to work, but she was humble in who she was and in recognizing the, the ability that she had without getting a big head. And then we come to Joshua. Do we think about Joshua when we think of leaders? I want us to consider what is recorded of him and his influence on Israel in Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24, verses 29 through 31. <clears throat> it came about after these things that Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died, being 110 years old. And they buried him in, in the territory of his inheritance in Timnath Sarah, which is in the hill country of Ephraim, in the on the north of Mount Gaish. Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Think of what Joshua did to encourage and to lead 
Israel to serve the Lord all of his days and all the days of those that were contemporary with him. Now I'm fully aware that much of Joshua's influence was due to God being with him. And especially to some of the great works that God did through him. We think of the parting of the Jordan River. As the Israelites crossed the Jordan and came into Canaan. Or maybe we think of the fall of the walls of Jericho. Or maybe even the day that the sun and the moon stood still. Certainly these miraculous things happened around Joshua as he led the people. And it really caused people to focus their attention on him. But he also deserves credit as well. Because from the very beginning, the promise of God's support was based upon Joshua's obedience and faithfulness. In Joshua chapter 1, it says, starting in verse 1, Now it came about after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, cross this Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I am giving to them, to the sons of Israel. Every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea towards the setting of the sun, will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. Be strong and courageous, for you shall get, give this people possession of the land which I swore to your fathers to give, to give them. Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses my servant commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you meditate it, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not tremble or be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. See, Joshua stands as an example of what it takes to be a great leader. And every generation needs great leadership, especially in times of struggle, especially in times of doubt. We don't have to look very far to see on a global scale those types of feelings. But let's look a little closer to home. When we do that, we see a real need for leadership. Over the past year, we've been blessed with growth in this congregation. And in that blessing, we've also seen the blessing of these little ones that run around the service uh, after services, that come and are learning <clears throat> about God, and they're learning about His relationship with man since the very beginning, and they are seeing Christianity played out in our lives, and they need leaders. We have those who are starting their lives. We have those who have moved away from home. We have those whose families are just beginning to grow. And we need those who have been where we have been. We need those who have been or where we are, those who have had God's help in their lives and have made it through difficult times. We need leaders. And then we have those who are more mature in life. We have those who have a different perspective and a different experience than those who are younger. And believe it or not, they need leaders too. We need leaders. We need someone who will encourage us. We need someone who will provoke us. We need someone who will care with us. We need someone who will stand with us. And so the question that I have this morning is, will you dare to lead like Joshua? For those who do lead, Joshua serves as an example of what one might be as a leader. And for those who follow, 
Joshua serves as an example for what to look for in a good leader. Today I want to focus on the qualities that Josh, uh, of Joshua that serve to make him a great leader so that we know what to expect in those who might lead today. I want to begin by noticing that Joshua was a man of humility. Before he was a leader, he was a servant. Look over in Exodus uh, chapter 33. In Exodus chapter 33. Actually in Exodus 24 and verse 13, it says that, that Moses arose with his assistant Joshua. But in Exodus 33 and verse 11, it says, Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from his tent. Great leaders are people who have no problem serving others. In fact, a servant's heart helps to prepare them to be such leaders. But not just before he was a leader was Joshua's servant. Even after he became a leader, Joshua was still willing to serve. Consider in Joshua chapter 3 how God magnified and praised Joshua. In chapter 3 and verse 7, says, Now the Lord said to Joshua, This day I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that just as I have been with Moses, I will be with you. And then in chapter 4 and in verse 14, he said, On that day the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, so that they revered him, just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. <clears throat> you would think that this praise might start to go to one's head. When you put yourself in Joshua's shoes, the Lord is exalting him. That's, that's a, a big enough praise enough that the Lord exalts him. But not just that, the people fear him. They revere him. He has great respect from these people. And yet, in Joshua chapter 5, when, when faced with someone greater than him, Joshua is still willing to serve. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 says, Now it came about when Joshua was by Jericho, that he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us, or are you for our adversaries? And he said, No, rather I indeed come now as a captain of the host of the Lord. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and bowed down and said to him, What has my Lord to say to his servant? And the captain of the Lord's host said to Joshua, Move your sandals from your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Joshua, whenever he recognized someone greater than himself, was willing to serve. We need to recognize other people as greater than ourselves, especially if we're going to be great leaders. To consider others and esteem them more highly than ourselves. Great leaders will remember who they were before they got to where they are. And even when praised, they will remain humble so that they can still have that ability and are still willing to serve in the future. Joshua's humility is a wonderful example for us, and, is, and it is demonstrated in another quality that we find in him. And that is that we find he was a man of faith and trust in God. We see this demonstrated when he was sent out to spy, uh, spy out the land. You remember the, cons the consensus of the spies when they returned from the land of Canaan, and how ten of these spies demonstrated a lack of, uh, of trust and faith in God with their poor report. Look in Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verses 25 through 29. 
When they had returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregations of the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. Thus they told them and said, We went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the, in the Negev. Amalek is living in the land of the Negev. And the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country. And the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. It's just as if they were saying when they came back to give this report, they said, look who lives there. There is no way we can ever hope to defeat them. They are such a mighty adversary. And I know there was a large amount of pressure that had to have been felt by Joshua and Caleb. But they, along with Moses and Aaron, demonstrated a great faith in God in their report. In Numbers chapter 14, just a few passages down, in verse 5, says, Moses and Aaron fell on their faces in the presence of all the assembly of the congregation of the sons of Israel. Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, of those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, The land which we passed through to spy out is exceedingly good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us. A land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, and do not fear the people of the land, for they will be our prey. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. We see the people... The ten spies who came back, they came back and they cried, look who lives there. And Joshua, along with Caleb and Moses and Aaron, they cried, look who lives with us. Look who dwells with us. Is it not the Lord, our God, who has protected us and brought us this far? He will take us through this. They demonstrated a great faith and trust in God. He also demonstrated a great trust in the fall of Jericho. The Lord gave instructions to Joshua in Joshua chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. It says, Now Jericho was tightly shut because of the sons of Israel. No one went out and no one came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand. With its king and the valiant warriors, you shall march around the city, all the men of war, circling the city once. You shall do so for six days. Also seven priests shall carry seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. Then on the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times, and the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall be that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when they hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city will fall down flat, and the people will go up every man straight ahead. If we remember from, from history, the city of Jericho was a very menacing sight. The city of Jericho was a, was a city set on a tell. That is to say, it was set on a large mound of dirt. And this mound was surrounded by a rampart or an embankment. Uh, I found this picture here, a cross-section that describes really closely what the city of Jericho's walls would have looked like. This rampart, this embankment, had a retaining wall at the base of it. This retaining wall was roughly 12 feet tall. 12 feet tall, this wall. So you can imagine me standing on my head. And that's, that's roughly the size of, of this retaining wall that was in front of them. But on top of that retaining wall was another wall that was 6 feet thick and was 20 to 26 feet high. 
So this first wall the Israelites would have had to, to overcome would have been 38 feet tall. That's what they would have been facing. That's what would, they have been looking at. And then once they were able to overcome this first wall, they would have had to proceed up this earthen embankment, this rampart, and most likely grass was not what was growing on this. They would have filled this with something that was slippery, something that was not easy to get your, 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 a good footing on. Um, most likely it was some sort of, of gravel-type material that was very smooth. And so while they, as you're trying to come up this earthen embankment, you have another wall that is the same as the other one. It is about 20 to 26 feet tall, about 6 feet thick. And what the city of, of uh, the people of Jericho would have done was they would have simply lobbed arrows, thrown stones. They would have killed anyone trying to, if they had managed to make it through the first wall. So it was not only just surrounded by two walls when we talk about the walls of Jericho. It was surrounded by two massive walls. It was considered in its time impregnable. And it's no wonder that Moses tells them in Deuteronomy chapter 9 and verse 1 that they were going to go up against great cities fortified to the heavens. And do the math, these walls would have equaled about 70 to 80 feet of walls that they were looking at. But we know the outcome of this story. The people marched, the trumpets were blown, and the wall fell. But what made the walls fall? History and scientists have looked back and asked this question over and over again. Was it the marching? Did all those men stomping their feet somehow loosen the ground and weaken the structure? Or was it the trumpets? And was it the frequency of the blast that created some sort of supersonic boom? Compare or couple that with the shouts of the people? No. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 30 tells us what brought the walls down. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 30 says, Faith brought the walls of Jericho down. Joshua had learned a lesson that all leaders must realize. One cannot place their faith in men. One cannot even place their faith in themselves. They must fully and completely trust and look to God. Another quality of Joshua that made him a great leader was that he was a man of God's word. His success was directly related to him following carefully the word of God. If we'll remember what God told him in verse 7, Joshua chapter 1, he said, be careful to do according to the, all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. And how was he to do this? How was he to be careful? We see that in verse 8. It says, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Notice he wasn't just to read the book of the law. It says that he was to meditate upon it, to give great time to study and to thought of it. And he was to do this both day and night. And we see evidence of someone who meditates upon the word of God is found within their life, within their actions, within how they apply that word. And we see the same thing with Joshua. He was true to the word. In Joshua chapter 1, in verse 12 through 15, we see that he reminded others of their responsibilities to the law. It said to the Reubenites and to the Gadites and to the half-tribe of Manasseh, Joshua said, Remember the word which, the, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God gives you rest and will give you this land. Your wives, your little ones, and your cattle shall remain in the land which Moses gave you beyond the Jordan. 
but you shall cross before your brothers in, ba in battle array, all your valiant warriors, and shall help them until the Lord gives your brothers rest, as he gives you, and they also possess the land which the Lord your God is giving them. Then you shall return to your own land and possess that which Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave you beyond the Jordan towards the sunrise. He reminded others of their responsibilities. He'd looked at God's law, and he not only applied it to himself, he made sure that his brothers and that his people also knew that they had a responsibility as well. In Joshua chapter 8, and verse 30 through 35, we see that he's still reminding people he renewed the covenants that the Lord had made. In, in verse 30, it says, Then Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, in Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. The sons of uh, the sons of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones on which no men had wielded an iron tool, and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. He wrote there on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written in the presence of the sons of Israel. All Israel with their elders and officers and their judges were standing on both sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And the, uh, the stranger as well as the native Half of them stood in front of Mount Gerizim, and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given command uh, at first to bless the people of Israel. Then afterward he read all the words of the law, the blessings and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women and the little ones and the strangers who were living among them. Joshua took time to make sure that everyone knew the covenant that God had made, to renew it, to remind it, to, to refresh them with their, with, their, with their knowledge of it. And then you also see a, a, a summary of Joshua's devotion in chapter 11 concerning him and the word of God. Chapter 11 and verse 15 says, Just as the Lord had commanded Moses his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses, even at the end of Joshua's life. He continued to encourage the nation of Israel to heed God's word. Joshua 23 and verse 6. <clears throat> Joshua 23 verse 6 reads, Be very firm. This is Joshua talking. Be very firm then to keep and do all that is written in the book of the law of Moses, so that you may not turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. And then if you skip on down to verse 14, it says, Now behold, today I am going the way of all the earth, and you know in all your hearts and in all your souls that not one word of the good words which the Lord your God spoke concerning you has failed. All have been fulfilled for you. Not one of them has failed. It shall come about that just as all the good words which the Lord your God spoke to you have come upon you, so the Lord will bring upon you all the threats until he has destroyed you from off this good land which the Lord your God has given you. When you transgress the covenant of the Lord your God, which he commanded you, and go and serve other gods and bow down to them, then the anger of the Lord will burn against you, and you will perish quickly from off the good land which he has given you. Even late in his life, even as he is approaching death, Joshua is still a man of God's word, and he is still focusing himself on reminding people and on, on warning them and on encouraging them to not fall away from God, to not disobey God, but rather to keep their, their faith and their trust and obedience in Him. Romans 10 verse 17 tells us that faith is produced from the Word of God. 
We can't then expect one to be a person of faith without being a person given to the word of God. For leaders, that means that they must listen. And they must, uh, they must listen to the charge given by God to Joshua. And they must meditate upon the law. And they must meditate upon God's word both day and night. They must be given to study of it. They must be given to consideration and thinking of it. Closely related to being faithful and to being trusting is also to be a man of prayer. And we see Joshua doing this. We see him praying for his people's failures. In Joshua chapter 7, in Joshua chapter 7 and verses 6 through 9, we read of a defeat early on in the conquest of Canaan in a place called Ai or Ae, depending on who you ask the pronunciation of. Joshua chapter 7, verses 6 through 9 says, Then Joshua tore his clothes and fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until the evening, both he and the elders of Israel, and they put dust on their heads. And Joshua said, Alas, O Lord God, why did you ever bring this people over the Jordan and only deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us? If only we had been willing to dwell beyond the Jordan. O Lord, what can I say, since Israel has turned their back before their enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land uh, will hear of it, and they will surround us and cut off your, or our name from the earth. And what will you do for your great name? After the destruction of Jericho, the people were not to take anything from the city except for the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron. And those things they were to, to place into the Lord's treasury. They were not to build anything in its place, but some of them decided to take something from the city. Some of them decided to take some keepsakes. And because of this, God was not with them when they went into battle, and they lost the first battle at Ai. After this, Joshua and the elders, we see pleading with God on behalf of Israel. But not only was Joshua prone to pleading with God, he was also prone to doing it even in the middle of hardship. In chapter 10, chapter 10, verses 9 through 14, right in the middle of battle, we see Joshua going to God in prayer. Verse 9 says, So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal, and the Lord confounded them before Israel, and he slew them with a great slaughter at Gibeon, and pursued them by the way of the ascent of Betharon, and struck them as far as Ezekah and Mekedah. As they fled from before Israel while they were at the descent of Betharon, the Lord threw large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. There were more who died from the hailstones than those whom the sons of Israel killed with the sword. Then Joshua spoke to the Lord in the day. When the Lord delivered up the Amorites before the sons of Israel, and he said in the sight of Israel, O sun, stand still at Gibeon, and O moon in the valley of Ajalon. So the sun stood still, and the moon stopped, until the nation avenged themselves of their enemies. Is it not written in the book of Jasher? And the sun stopped in the middle of the sky, and did not hasten to go down for about a whole day. There was no day like that before it or after it, when the Lord listened to the voice of a man, for the Lord fought for Israel. Joshua's trust is made extremely evident here in his prayer life. It's not in his own strength. But rather, Josh looks to the Lord for help. He prays in the midst of battle for the sun and moon to stand still. And we have to ask ourselves, if Joshua had not been a man of prayer, if he had not been a man who had devoted himself in trusting in the Lord by making his, his petitions known, would the help of the Lord have been provided? Would they have been successful? Would Joshua have been able to lead? When leaders need all the help they can get, they need to be people of prayer. Lastly, 
it should be evident from what we've already looked at that Joshua modeled another leadership quality for us, and that was he was a man who put God first. In Joshua chapter 8, verse 30, we read just a moment ago of the, the renewal of the covenant, the base of, of Gerizim, Ebal and Gerizim. And, and many have struggled with the placement of this passage in Joshua. Many have said that, that this is something that could not have possibly happened so early on in the conquest because they view this as a celebration. This was something that must have happened after they had conquered uh, the, the lands of the south and went up into the, the northern part of the kingdom and conquered it. Then they must have came back to Ebal and Jerizim. But Moses had commanded them on the day that you crossed the Jordan to do all that they did at Ebal and Gerizim. And even though, as we see in Joshua chapter 9, verses 1 and 2, that it gave the kings of the land opportunity and time to join forces against the Israelites. In verse 1 and 2 of chapter 9, it says, Now it came about when all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country and in the lowland and on the coast of the great sea toward Lebanon, the Hittite and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Perizzite, the Hivite and the Jebusite heard of it, that they gathered together themselves with one accord to fight with Joshua and with Israel. Even though this, this time that they spent gave them opportunity, we see that Joshua still put God's commandments first. And he put God first in the eyes of these people. Having just crossed over the, the, the Jordan River and just had these, these short victories, he wanted to make sure the people remembered that it wasn't their great might. It was God who was giving them these things. And God deserved the rightful place in their mind as first, the rightful place in their attitudes, and a rightful place in their actions. But he also put God before others. Joshua didn't care what others might do. Joshua didn't care what others might think. Joshua knew where his priorities were going to stand. In Joshua chapter 24, verses 14 through 15, maybe some of the most well-known words that Joshua spoke, says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. If it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourself today whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you are living. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And when Joshua made this stand, look at what what an influence it had on the people of Israel. It says in verse 16, The people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God is he who brought us and our father up out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us through all the way in which we went and among all the people through whose midst we passed. Joshua was a man of great leadership because it was these qualities that he had within him. He was humble. He was faithful and trusting. He was devoted to God's word. He was devoted to prayer. And he put God first above all else. But Joshua wasn't alone in these things. Remember what we read in verse 31 of Joshua 24? It said, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who survived Joshua. And he had known all and had known all the deeds of the Lord which he had done for Israel. Some have said that Joshua, Joshua had special help. 
Joshua was a man who, because the Lord was with him, had a supernatural ability to be a great leader. Remember what we read, read, as long as the elders who were contemporary with Joshua survived, the nation as a whole served the Lord. Which means that it wasn't some supernatural gift that made Joshua who it was. It was the same qualities that each and every person is capable of possessing. You may have said in the past, I can't be a leader. But you can be someone who is humble. And you can be someone who trusts in God. And you can be someone who's going to devote their time to his word and to studying his will and to prayer. And you can absolutely be someone that will put him first in your life. If you can do those things, then you can be an excellent leader. You can be the kind of leader that this generation today needs. You can be the kind of leader that this community today needs. You can be the kind of leader that this church, that the Lake Street Church of Christ needs. We need leaders like you. This morning, there's one last thing I want you to know about Joshua, and that is that there is a strong similarity between him and Jesus. The Hebrew name Joshua and the Greek name Jesus both have the same meaning, and that is Savior. Joshua was a leader of the Israelites, and he led them into the promised land of Canaan. Jesus is the leader of the Christians of you and of me. And he leads us into the promised land of heaven. Turn with me to John chapter 1. John chapter 1, verse 35 through 43, we see Jesus encouraging us to accept him as a leader. Encouraging man to accept him as a leader. He says again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples and he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold the Lamb of God, the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which translated means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he found first his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which translated means Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day he purposed to go into Galilee and found Philip. And Jesus said to him, Follow me. And then in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 66, when things have become difficult because of what Jesus is teaching. We read, as a result of this, many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. And so Jesus said to the twelve, you do not want to go away also, do you? Jesus looked and said, do you still want to follow me? The only appropriate response to that could have been found in verse 68. Simon Peter answered and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And then in John chapter 21, in verse 15, so when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my lambs. And he said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, shepherd my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, Tend my sheep. 
Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wish. But when you grew old, you will stretch out your hand and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he signified by what kind of death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken these things, he said to him, Follow me. Follow Jesus. Follow him where? John chapter 14 and verse 16 tells us that he leads us to Jehovah. He leads us to our great God. Will you follow Jesus? Have you, like the people of Israel, listened to a bad report? Listen to the report maybe that is within your mind that tells you that you can't do this. You can't overcome. Put your trust and your faith in God. It is a battle, but it is a battle that you can win. Or have you been like the people who, after defeating Jericho, took a few keepsakes with them and held on to? Have you begun to follow the Lord, but you haven't been fully obedient? Turn from your sin and submit yourself in obedience to Christ. Or maybe this morning you realize you haven't been leading the way that you know you should and that you know that you can. Don't wait for someone else to choose to do it. Trust in God and be a leader that he would desire you to be. Whatever you need to do this morning, I hope that you know this. I hope that you know that you don't have to do it alone. I hope that you know that we are here and we are wanting to help. We want to help one another as brothers and as sisters, and we want to lead one another on our way to heaven. We want to pick you up when you feel down. We want to celebrate with you when you are overjoyed. But you have to let us know. You have to let us see that. If there is any way in which we can assist you this morning, I encourage you, now is the proper time to let it be known. Now is a time where, where an invitation has been made available. Won't you please come forward now as we stand and as we sing.